Welcome to Movie Ketchup, a podcast where two best pals serve up movie reviews with a side of murder. I'm Greg. And I'm Leanne. For the new year, we're shaking up the format of our show a bit. This month, we're watching movies that are completely new to both of us. Things that have been on our to-watch list for a while that we just haven't gotten to. Today, we're talking about the 2019 horror comedy, Ready or Not. This movie is directed by Matt Bentinelli and Tyler Gillett. The writers for this are Guy Busick and Christopher Murphy. This has got quite the cast. It's definitely an ensemble movie, so I'd like to mention most of them at least. Samara Weaving, Adam Brody, Marco Bren, Harry Zerny, Andy McDowell, Melanie Scrifano, Kristen Brunn, Elise Levesque, and Nikki Gadani. I'm sorry for all those names. Uh, the tomato meter rating for this is 88% critic and 78% audience. Fairly close. And the premise is Grace couldn't be happier after she marries the man of her dreams at his family's luxurious estate. There's just one catch. She must now hide from midnight until dawn while her new in-laws hunt her down with guns, crossbows, and other archaic weaponry. As Grace desperately tries to survive the night, she soon finds a way to turn the tables on her not-so-lovable in-laws. And the tagline for this movie is, In-laws can be murder. The rules are simple. Uh, you can hide anywhere inside the house. We then count 200 and try to, um, uh, find you. Well, don't you think you have a little bit of an advantage? Oh, no, no, we never use the cameras. We always play the games as they wouldn't play it in great-grandfather's time. Mm-hmm. Always. So there's no way for me to win, right? Uh, well, you, you could, I mean, stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> <laughs> No, thank you. No. Uh, we're going to start the count just as soon as you leave, okay? Okay. Grace, good luck. <laughs> so this is one that I know we've both talked about a few times. Yeah, when I came out in theaters, I yeah. was definitely interested in seeing it, but it's one that we didn't get an opportunity to go and, and see. And it's come up more recently for me as well, because the, I believe, writing and directing duo, if I'm not mistaken, behind this, I'd have to look into that. At least some of them have been tagged to do the screen reboot, or I guess it's not really a reboot. Yes, the director, the, the directors, directors are yeah, doing the screen. Are doing the new screen. Yeah. Uh, which I'm very excited for, and one of the only reasons that the people behind Scream agreed, and I think the estate of Wes Craven agreed to go forward was because of this movie. It kind of gave them the belief that they could do a screen. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, okay, well, I have to check this out now. I love Scream and any sort of uh, blessing that Wes Craven's estate has given to this. It must mean there's something here. So I was really curious to check it out. It does look like that it is both directors and writers are involved in the project. So I'm definitely interested. I was a little bit trepidatious about a new sure. screen movie, but after seeing this and knowing that they're involved, uh, I'm interested to see what they can do with the franchise. Yeah, and going through some of the things they've uh, directed and written, it's not been like a crazy large amount. There's things in there, but this definitely came together in a way that was really impressive. Uh, what were some of your initial thoughts? Um, I liked it a lot. It really leaned more into the comedy side of things, but I think there were some scenes sort of in the middle and towards the end that were, you know, really um, high suspense, high tension, uh, especially when we have Grace 
outside the property and she's being pursued by like the butler. Those, I think he was sort of like the most committed to making sure that this weird ritual happened. And so that made him like a, and he was very committed to the family. So that made him like a real threat for her. And overall it was just great. The cast was great. Um, I noticed that there's definitely a through line for this uh, role to another role that Samara Weaving did in a movie called Guns Akimbo that she did with Daniel Radcliffe, which I believe came out last year uh, and which I watched over the Christmas holiday. It's available on Prime. And I think it's something that you should watch because I would like to talk to you about it. It's a little bit interesting, but yeah, I, I see a bit of a through line between the character she plays here and the character she plays there. And in the few things that I've seen her, and I've really enjoyed her, so she carries the movie really well. sure. And that's really interesting to say that, too, because I saw a strong through line between her work in the Babysitter franchise, which has two movies now on Netflix, and this film, which are both murder comedies, I suppose. I've been trying to get you to watch The Babysitter for a while, I believe, at this point, so those two movies could make for an interesting double feature. You haven't really been pushing them on me so much as gently suggesting they are something I yeah. could check the out. The Babysitter was on the short list for Halloween episodes, but it got pushed back from some other things that were more pressing to have you watch. But after watching this, like, yeah, it is very interesting because there is definitely a strong through line there. I agree that for me, um, her character of Grace really, really helped get this movie grounded and to a place that wasn't just farce. She does such a good job bringing the humanity into this otherwise humanless movie, really. Like, there's not a lot of characters in here that you can really get behind and root for so much. So to have her there, like, really grounding everything, she did such a good job. Especially with the tone of this movie, that's not really an easy cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, even before I watched this movie, when I was looking at the cast, because you've got Melanie oh, Stefano so and Christian Brun and... Like Henny Cherney. Andy McDowell, yeah, like, the legend, the icon, the star. But like more than half of this cast is made up of Canadian actors. And I was like, is this a Canadian production? It is filmed in Toronto. So it's got that. But I was just thought it was like looking at the number of people who I know are Canadian that are in it. I was just like, interesting. But I don't think it is necessarily like specifically a Canadian production, but there's definitely like a lot of Canada in it. Yeah. I really loved. Melanie Scrifano and Christian Brun. They played uh, a couple in the movie, and Christian Brun spends like half the movie squirreled away trying to avoid participating in this arcade game that they're playing. And Melanie Scrifano is like also just like googling how to use a crossbow, watching like a YouTube just, video of like, how to use a crossbow. Yeah. They've got Melanie Scrifano who's a coke addict and like between oh, you know snipping a line off from the back of oh. her hand really quickly and accidentally oh my god that moment where she goes back into the room where um grace and alex are hiding and just bursts out this tin of cocaine and just sniffs a line yeah. and just goes woo and just like goes back out for it i was crying laughing it was so like just all of a sudden in your face, it just happened and I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. It was great. And a lot of the comedic stuff that happens, I think, involves her. I mean, there's a lot of comedy throughout the whole thing, but she is the character who's constantly, accidentally killing the house staff instead. (laughs) And everybody is just so 
you know, they're so familiar with this. There's a lot of like resigned sighs. I made a note of yeah. a quote that the father, Tony says, he goes, Emily, aim for the center of gravity when she shoots one of the, <laughs> the house staff, like through the mouth mm. with a crossbow bolt. And it's just, she brings a lot of good comedy and she's really good at that. I noticed, I made a note and said, why does Melanie Scrifano always play a fuck up and or a hot mess? Because she's the lead in Winona Earp and Winona is kind of a hot mess. Oh, she's um, so good. She plays that. a character on the show Letterkenny and she's sort of, I would say she's very similar to playing Emily here. So everything I've seen her is she kind of has like a frenetic energy or she's like an alcoholic or a drug user or something related yeah. to that. So, and then of course when Bryn was in Orphan Black and he was just phenomenal and he's just so good in this. That's where I know him. Oh my God. How did I not piece them together? Totally. Oh, he's great. And it's almost good that he's paired like, with Melanie in this because of his, the way that he played off of Allison in Orphan Black because she's like a very tightly wound A-type and he's not that. So I think he does well in those sort of character dynamics. But he's also somebody that married into the family and just like does not want to have anything to do with this. The whole cast here is really bringing their A-game and I related it very strongly to Knives Out in a lot of my notes. I can see that. That this is a brilliantly constructed ensemble piece where everyone is so perfectly on tone. Everyone knows the exact movie they're in and everyone is bringing exactly what they need to this movie to make it work. I was a little worried at first about Andy McDowell because I'd never seen her in anything this violent. I mean, farcical, violent, high, high camp in a lot of ways, but like Andy McDowell can do some camp. She's been in very campy things, but she brought that, like, level of sweet, earnest Andy McDowell you're used to, but, like, really flipped it on its head throughout the movie when she is also fully committed to murdering this woman as part of a ritual. The ritual that anytime someone marries into this family, they have to play a game. And, uh, it's like a sacrifice to Satan, essentially. And sometimes it seems to just be playing a game of checkers, and sometimes it's playing a game of hide-and-seek, which involves ritually murdering the bride which is what happens to be played this night. And at first, Andy McDowell as Becky, the mom, is super warm and kind and welcoming. But then when the hide-and-seek is pulled and this woman needs to be murdered or their whole family will die in their pact with Satan, she's ready. She's on it. She's got her... Does she have the, the crossbow? Or she has a bow and arrow. She's like literally like just strapped this bow to her back and is running around this house looking for Grace to just straight-up murder her. And it was like... The crossbow gets passed between a few people during the movie. I think she ends up with it towards the end. The dad is really good as well. I've seen him in many things. I couldn't quite piece it, and I didn't look up exactly what I've seen. Most recently, you would have seen Um, him in Mission Impossible. Yes. Yeah. Uh, He was really, really good as the patriarch of this family as well. Uh, His really intense energy he brought. I really liked Aunt Helen, who is... (laughs) Got a great haircut. I loved how her backstory tied in and uh, her acts. She's just carrying yeah. around. And Helen is the only other person in the family who their spouse drew the hide or seat card. And so her new husband was murdered. And we fought, we encounter his body at a later time during the movie. Yeah. But even though she was distraught about it when we see the flashback before the movie actually starts, she later says that she knew that, like, you know, she wished that they had just let her kill him herself because that's 
a more effective way of doing it. Uh, and then the two the two younger brothers in the family, uh, Adam Brody's Daniel and Mark O'Brien's Alex, really also bring a lot to this movie. Adam Brody is someone who we've seen do similar-ish roles. Like, I'm thinking him and Jennifer's body, another satanic tied thing there. Very different character, though. Very different character, but, like, he can do this tone of movie very well. He gets camp. I really liked how you could never quite pin his motivations through the whole movie. You were never quite sure whose side he was on, whether he wanted to help Grace and his brother, or whether or not he was going to go the selfish route for him and his family's sake and try and kill her. And he flopped a little bit through the movie, so it was really interesting to see where, seeing where he was going to land. I think part of that was because he really didn't want to participate. He liked Grace. He wanted yeah. to be able to protect Alex. But at the same time, like, he knew that if the ritual didn't happen, then, like, things mm-hmm. would go tits up, which it really does at the end. The ending was so surprising to me. I, I laughed a lot because it was great. a real, it was a real surprise. But also just bringing it back to that, the very first intro that happened back in, I believe, the 80s, seeing how Daniel tried to protect his brother back mm-hmm. in that flashback, and then seeing their dynamic in the present was really effective to me. Like, I really grew instantly attached to the brothers, and even though the family was really terrible, I was really hoping through the movie that either Daniel and or Alex were going to survive, because we saw that they weren't really committed to this, and that they were the two that really tried to push back. Especially Alex's turn for this movie was really an interesting one as well. Like, I started out writing things down like, these two almost make me not hate straight people. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Just like, I really liked them as a couple. The movie did such a good job at the beginning of setting them up. He was so cute. She was so cute. I mean, we obviously know murder's going to happen. They set it up in the the flashback. But I was instantly like, oh, no, I like them. Oh, God. (laughs) So it did a good job of getting me invested and then surviving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, spoiler, Daniel, he dies because he gets shot by his own wife, actually. Yeah, trying to help yeah, Grace escape, get... but he actually decides to turn and, so, and help her. Uh, because of the demonstrated loyalty to Alex and his kindness to Grace, his death was actually quite emotional, uh, mm-hmm. carried a lot of weight. So, yeah, it was really well done. And then it turns out uh, at the very end, when confronted with watching Grace bludgeon his mother to death, who is trying to kill her, uh, in a very gruesome scene, she's got a little box that uh, summons the demon playing card thing that tells them what game they're going to play, and Grace is just bludgeoning Becky over the head with it Mm -hmm. as Alex walks in and... I believe he assumes that she also killed Daniel, who, even though it was Daniel's wife, Alex doesn't know that. He just stumbles upon Daniel's dead body and then stumbles upon Grace also killing his mother, and he decides to switch, snap, and murder her. Yeah. Uh, And it's really tragic because they are, like, embracing for a moment, and he's, like, touching her face, and you're not quite sure what he's going to do, and then he starts to squeeze her face a little harder, and... And she says something along the lines of, that's hurting me. And then all of a sudden he calls, she's in here, she's in here. And it was so heart, it was gut-wrenching. I was like, oh, no, Alex, I liked you. (laughs) Oh, it really hurt. It got me. Yeah, I mean, the major theme in this movie is definitely about family loyalties. Like that, without question. Um, So Alex being put in a position where he has to decide between, you know, his new wife and 
his family, despite yeah. this weird fucked up ritual that they have to do every time a marriage happens. You know, it really was like the high point for the movie uh, in terms of shifting of the, the tone yeah. a little bit. And I like how that was also foreshadowed with Aunt Helen, who is having a discussion inside a room and Alex is chained to the bed and is kind of hearing the whole thing. <laughs> and she's basically saying that she hoped that he would go the same way she did and that he would take over the family role as the patriarch. And so by hearing all of this, it's kind of planted that seed in his head and led to a lot of his conflict. Like a lot of other movies we've watched, this movie also does really good with setup on payoff. Thinking specifically of the scene where Grace is outside the house and she's in like the barn and she's fallen into like the goat pit, which is where we find the corpse of Aunt Helen's husband. And she's been shot in the hand by um, Emily and Fitch's son, Georgie, who has found his mother's gun just lying around the house because she put it down and forgot about it. And I made a note that, damn, he has a really good shot. But he shoots her in the hand, and she ends up knocking this poor kid out. Well, quote-unquote poor, because he fucking shot her. And she falls down into this goat He's pit. also physically not poor. He's very rich. <laughs> that too. <laughs> and she's, you know, injured, and she's trying to climb this decrepit ladder. And as she's climbing, we keep getting this shot of, like, a nail at the top. And you know... You know when she reaches, she's going to put her hand there to pull her up and that that nail is going to go through her hand. And it does. And it even though you know that it's coming, it was just like excruciating to watch. But uh, it was just good. It was a good scene. The progression of her throughout the night slowly deteriorating and getting more wounds Mm -hmm. and the physical look of her was really good. It's something we talk about a lot in action-heavy movies is that... Often they go through fight scene after fight scene after fight scene, and they just, they're still Tom Cruise without a scratch, or maybe a tiny little painted on scratch, and they look perfect. But this, like, you could feel the weight of the night as it went on. Yeah, you go from, like, her pristine white wedding dress initially, and then towards the Mm -hmm. end there are certain scenes where her dress is so soaked in blood that in certain lights it looks black, like the transition just in what she's physically wearing and the way that her dress has been ripped at the bottom so she has better range of motion for movement and everything. Like, it's just a very slow progression that works really good. She also does a lot to, like, cause injury to herself in her efforts to escape. Like, she's tried a bar off the fence, and she's squeezing through that, and it's, like, cutting a deep line across her back. Like, she's doing a lot of damage to herself by trying to resist Mm -hmm. this thing that is happening. I also want to mention the, uh, on appearances and looks and all that, the, um, the look that's on the cover or the poster of the movie, it's pretty early on uh, when they start to play hide and seek and she's just kind of starting to figure out what's going on. She's had her confrontation with Alex who tries to, tries to help her out at this point. He's trying to get her to escape and she has switched out her heels for a uh, yellow beat up converse. She's ripped off the bottom couple feet or so of her dress that was dragged across the ground. And she has found an old gun along with a sash of ammo she's strewn across her wedding dress. She's got this giant shotgun, ammo belt, her torn up dress, and these yellow converse. And it is such a look. I can see why they put it on the cover. And as soon as like there's that wide shot of her in this look and she's like cocking the gun or whatever, I was like, yes, this is such a look. But then sadly, she's only 
like she finds out the gun is just an ornament, basically, and tosses it, and she's never in that look again. I was hoping that would come back. I don't know. I thought it was like a good callback to the poster, but definitely it worked. The fact that she was in a situation where she was so close to the door, they'd been able to get the doors unlocked so she could get out. And she's like a step away from freedom, essentially, only to find out that this weapon that she's armed herself with is useless. Yeah. It was just so prominently featured in promotional material that when it happened, I kind of expected that to be her, like, get up for the rest of the movie, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, I thought that was going to be, like, her battle look, and that was going to be her weapon she's using to kill everyone. I did like the twist, though, and how everything progressed was quite good. I thought this movie going in was going to be more Final Girl, uh, which I know you haven't seen, but basically where I thought it was going to turn out that she was a lot more competent than they'd expected, and she wasn't just... Which, I mean, it was, but that she wasn't just the innocent, wide-eyed girl they thought, and that she had a history of using weapons, and that she would just go around killing everyone, like, and that it would really turn on its head, and she would be hunting them. Mm-hmm. I thought that was going to be the big twist. Very, like, Final Girl, where basically she has trained her whole life to be an assassin, and then purposely gets dragged into the woods by a bunch of guys that are trying to kill her, and then she ends up killing all of them. Although that movie was very poorly done, and this is a much better version of Final Girl. Uh, I really like how this played out, and there was a lot of parallels to that movie, but the whole time I'm just like, this is what I wanted from Final Girl. This is everything I wanted. Uh, in that vein, there's a line somebody says, I think it was Tony the father, and he goes, she's picking us off. And he's like, well, to be fair, like your own daughter killed two of your house staff, and then one of them <laughs> kind of killed herself by accident. So. <laughs> I think Grace only ends up killing, she kind of accidentally kills Stevens by having him run the car off the road and he dies. She accidentally gets Daniel killed, I guess, by getting shot at and ducking out, or not really even. Really, I think the only one of them she kills is Becky, the mom. Yeah. Unless I'm forgetting. No, I think you're right. I think that the only person that she actually intentionally... Which is a little shocking, but, I mean, she is not supposed to be... Like, she turns violent, but not really. Like, she never gets super murderous. Like Every scenario she's in when somebody ends up dying is because she's trying to defend herself. You know, like... Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Stevens is taking her back to the house, and she's trying to prevent that. So, like, she gets them to drive off the road so she can escape. Uh, I think Becky was, like, leveling an arrow at her or something at the time that she dies. So it's like, every time... It happens. Like, she really is just doing it to defend herself. It's not like she's just turning on people uh, arbitrarily. It was also interesting, just thinking about Final Girl, that, just thinking about casting, I could really see someone like Chloe Grace Moretz in this role. I think she would have done a really good job as well. I can see that. She definitely fits the same character type. Yeah, I can see that. I really did like Samara Weaving here, though. Samara Weaving was amazing, and I, I wouldn't want to recast it. It was just, when I was thinking about that movie, I was like, I wish they would give something like this to to Chloe Grace Moretz because she is mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful and deserves better work than that <laughs> I'm still mad about that movie. There are two scenes outside of the house that I really, really like. One is after uh, Grace is able to get through the fence. There's a car that's driving by that she's trying to stop so that they'll help her and they just drive off and she just like has a fucking temper tantrum in the middle of the road and it just felt appropriate. You know, like, at this point, she's got her new in-laws, like, all of everybody's, like, trying to kill her, 
and all she's trying to do is just get one person to help her and this asshole driving by, you know, is too full of themselves to even stop. Like, she's covered in blood at this point. You know, it's not like it's an early stage of the movie where, like, she's still pretty clean. Like, she's pretty blood-covered and injured. And then the other part, or the other scene, is when she's gotten the car and she's trying to use, like, the OnStar kind of thing. Oh, God. That trip safe. (laughs) She calls, she uses the trip safe in the car, trying to get them to call the police so that she can get some help. And she's talking to Justin. And in a matter of seconds, he goes from like being helpful to being like, Oh, this car has been reported stolen. Like we're just going to stop the car and being the most unhelpful to her. And just like her whole exchange with him was, it was really good. For me, that whole time she's talking to Justin, I, I had my movie brain going where I was thinking the whole time, oh, Justin actually works for the family. Like, he's going to betray her. Like, this isn't actually going through to OnStar. The police are never coming. I think there was supposed to actually be someone from OnStar. I think so, though, yeah. Whatever, right? I think so. Yeah, which, I mean, OnStar is not what it's yeah, called. Yeah, TripSafe you know I mean? is what it's called. But same sure. concept, I think. So the whole time I'm like, trying to figure out how this piece is back together, who, like, how Justin is secretly some evil guy working for the family. I'm like, um, I don't think I was supposed to go that far <laughs> with it. I think he's just Justin. Are there any other, like, major scenes that you really, really enjoyed or didn't? There's not really anything about this movie that I didn't like. I had fun from start to finish, and there wasn't anything that really, like, bothered me too much. I can't pick out any big negatives. I didn't write anything negative down. I had a lot of notes about the the house itself, which I thought was such a gorgeous set piece for this movie. Like, it was so opulent. It was so big. Like, the all the, like, the secret passages and the dumbwaiter, and, and it just, it felt like a large game of Clue in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. So I really enjoyed the atmosphere. I thought how they shot it, like, the colors, that, like, the the kind of deep oranges and a lot of the lighting and how it was just like dim lighting everywhere. It was very well done. Gave you a lot of atmosphere. I was surprised that I didn't recognize the set from like, or this house from other movies because it seemed like this is such a fun. Yeah, I don't know if it's been used in anything else. I didn't look into that at all. Uh, there's a, one scene towards the beginning of the movie, sort of where they're at the house after the wedding, or I guess the wedding took place out on the lawn, but they're inside the house and they're being called mm-hmm. down so that they can play this game and do the thing. And Grace is coming down and she's looking directly down the spiral staircase and we're getting the shot of her directly from above. And it's not like a Dutch angle, but it's on par with that sort of in terms of the effect that it gives. But like yeah. you really get the sense that like after you've seen the whole movie that in that scene, Grace is like descending into madness so to speak, into, you know, this situation. So I thought that was, like, really interesting storytelling. I really like when they first um, are all in that room, um, the shot of them at midnight picking the game, explaining the history of the family and how they came into their wealth and how every time someone marries in, they play a game and they pick a blank card, they put it in the little box, and it tells them what game they're going to play. And watching the various emotions on everyone's face, some people like Daniel and Alex who are just like horrified and like nervous, some of them who are like excited, the very stern looks from some of the elders in the room who are like, they take this very seriously. And then Grace is just 
no clue what's going on, and she's kind of nervously laughing, she's playing along, and it's just the juxtaposition between everyone is so good, and then when they finally draw hide-and-seek, and just watching how everyone's reacting to that card being drawn, um, she not quite getting it, Alex trying to frantically tell her to meet him in her room, and then the song that starts playing, that fucking hide-and-seek song on the record that starts mm-hmm. playing that is so creepy, and it just sets everything up so well. It was really, really good. It gave me chills at points. Yeah, the song is very on par with the song Jeepers Creepers from the movie of the same name. It really kind of gives you a sense of what you can expect. Yeah. And then when it starts playing again, when the house is on fire and the record is being all warped, and it just starts playing on its own, Yeah, that was also great. Well, I guess we should talk about the ending. I mean, they've all come to sacrifice um, Grace. They're supposed to do it before dawn, and they've only got like a few minutes left. Alex has turned on her, and he's the one who's going to stab her. She turns at the last second. I believe the knife yeah. goes through her shoulder instead. And then the aunt kind of looks outside and sees it's dawn, opens the curtains, and everyone's just kind of bracing because they made this pact with Satan. And if she makes it to dawn, they're all supposed to die. And yeah. there's just like this pause. Everything seems to be fine. Before all of this happens, like before we get right to the end, there's a lot of discussion about like whether or not this curse is real and yeah. like. If they don't do this, they, they like, is anything really, really well. going to happen? There's, like, a scene of Fitch. He's, like, doing a Google search, like, packs with the devil, real or bullshit, which is, like, yeah. so good. And, yeah, there's this, you know, fraught moment where it's sunrise and they open and, like, nothing happens. And then one by one, all of the members of the family just fucking explode into bloody chunks. Literally just explode. Like it is hilarious. It and was so unexpected. So unexpected. I laugh. I mean, you're shocked to laughter because what else are you supposed to do? And yeah, it's just great. And then of course, just before Alex, you know, explodes into bloody chunks, Grace takes off her wedding ring and she throws it at him. She says, "I want a divorce." Oh, so good. But you know, he's dead. She can so deliver like, a one-liner. Like she yeah. can deliver a one-liner. Yeah, uh, and then. At the end of the movie, she's sitting out on the front steps while the house is just in flames behind her, just covered lighting from, like, head oh. to toe in the blood of her in-laws, lighting a yeah. cigarette all nonchalant. And one of the emergency service people comes over and he looks at her and goes, Jesus Christ, what happened to you? And she just goes, in-laws. Yeah. It's yeah. very the dressmaker, but uh, I loved it. I mean, I know it's like, since the whole family died, does that mean she inherits everything? <laughs> That's a good question. I didn't think about that, but she is technically married, but, like, they wouldn't have changed wills or anything like that, so I don't know. Yeah, but if there's something in the will that says to, like, to Alex and, you know, his heirs and blah, 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 like, that kind of language, like, she's the sole survivor of the family. That would be really hilarious, but she then have to make a pact Does she get to inherit everything, whether or not anything is worth inheriting? The devil also shows up at the end. We didn't mention that, but the devil literally, like, she looks over at the chair that's, like, set aside for Satan, and then there's just, like, a flash in the fire, and you see this dude just, like, raise a glass to her or something for, like, half a second, if that. And I was just like, the fuck? Okay, hi, Satan. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is that they made this deal with another man who it's, is like, Satan. weirdly... Okay, got I'm it. I'm pretty sure that man is Satan. They're going around screaming, hail Satan, at some point. That is true. Like, they're I, doing the ritual there. They wrote down near the beginning... Uh, in between the note that says, rich people be crazy, uh, and then there's a quote, uh, I think the dad says, someone's watching over us, 
And then I just wrote down Satan, like Satan is watching over you. <laughs> this is kind of before everything's revealed, but like, yeah, you know. I made a note that I thought Emily would be a great D and D character to play, like this very clumsy, murderous person that's just accidentally killing people. Yeah, I don't know why it's not more common that people, at least in our circles, that people play characters that have like a drug problem or something. (laughs) That could be interesting. I've done it once, but that was because I got like a a, like assigned that as my character flaw in a one shot. Mm. I was a turtle with a meth problem. God. That sounds but I intense. Don't know how people do meth, so I was like, uh, yeah, my turtle just like does meth. I guess I inject it, I smoke it, I don't know, it's meth. I don't know what meth is. <laughs> I have very little knowledge about drugs, so it was very hard to will play a drug addicted character to meth. That's reasonable. Uh tangent aside, is there anything else you want to mention about this? No, I think we've covered mostly I mean it was just a lot of fun. I did make a note it was I... like nice to know that your spouse isn't required to participate in your fucking murder, even though they can apparently opt in to do that. Uh, I also made a note of the quote between Daniel and his wife, Charity. I don't think we talked about her at all. No. She's good. Yeah. But early on, his wife says, she's pretty, but she'll never be one of us. And he goes, of course not, dear. She has a soul. And I thought that was yeah. a, a good exchange. If I had actually one thing I would like changed about this, I wanted more explanation and backstory between Daniel and Charity. Not a lot, but I wanted to know how they got together because they were so opposite. They didn't seem to have any sort of chemistry. They they had that like bitter uh, husband and wife thing going on, but I wanted to a little glimpse into why unless I missed some of it. I kind of gathered through pieces that he felt like he had to marry someone and then, I don't know, she was very what the family was looking for. I don't know. It was, it was hard to piece together why they, they got together for me. He makes reference to the fact that she's a gold digger and whether or not that's an offhanded comment or a truthful statement is another thing altogether. Yeah. But she makes us some line about like, you know where I came from before. I can't go back to that type of thing. I believe I was really curious. Like, I don't think we really got much explanation for that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it got cut. But there was, like, some something going on between her and Daniel that didn't really get explored. I would have liked to know more of that. It wasn't a super long movie. I, I felt like it could have been, like, 15, 20 minutes longer, and I wouldn't have felt like it dragged for me, personally. I mean, it was pretty tight as is, so I didn't really feel yeah, like I was, was missing is, anything. But, like, you know, if they needed to add a scene or two with Daniel, yeah. I wouldn't have minded. He was a pretty important character. I really liked the line the aunt says, uh, brown-haired niece, you continue to exist. Just, like, deadpan. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah, and Helen was an interesting character, for sure. She was a mood. <laughs> so, with that said, what would you give this movie on our ketchup rating scale? Is this perfect as is? Could it use some ketchup? Or would you douse it? This is definitely, like, a perfect as is. Like, don't put a drop of ketchup on this, because I just had a lot of fun. I would definitely go back and watch this movie again. I would definitely put this very high in movies that are maybe my favorite. Like, it's definitely something that I could return to. I agree. This is so far into my wheelhouse, or up my wheelhouse, whatever the phrase is. I love movies like this. This is going on that list of stuff like Scream and Happy Death Day that I could rewatch a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Perfect as is for me. That's it for us this episode. Join us again next time as we just try to get to the party in Booksmart. Consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so that other people can find our show. 
your review may land you a shout out in a future episode. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MovieCatchUpPod for episode updates and other news. Our intro music is Blackjack, and our outro music is Candy Hands. All music provided by ArchesAudio.com. 